On a Friday evening in January 1929, Ernie Cottrell has packed up his overalls, paintbrushes and dust sheets and stopped in at the Wellington Arms near Watford Junction on his way home. Evening, Harry, Ernie says. Good evening, Mr Cottrell. Will you be taking a pint of the usual? Ernie nods. He likes coming to the Wellington Arms. The landlord is Harry Kent, who until two and a half years ago was the manager of Watford Football Club. Ernie watches Harry pour the pint. It's Preston North End in the FA Cup tomorrow, Mr Cottrell. Will you be attending? Can't wait, Harry. Twenty thousand crowd, I reckon. Twice the usual. Ernie smiles as he thinks ahead to the big occasion at Vicarage Road. Watford are in Division 3 South, so it's only the FA Cup that offers true fame and glory. Ernie will be there, on the terraces. He loves the FA Cup. And so it seems does Harry Kent. Harry was renowned for not displaying his emotions during his 17 years at the club as player and manager, but tonight the mask slips a little as he says, On such occasions, I wish we were still playing, Mr Cottrell. Don't you? Ernie considers the question. The truthful answer would be yes. He left the club many years ago and he does wish he could still be playing for Watford, but he's exhausted after his day at work. I've had my time, Harry. I played for us in the FA Cup in 1902 against Fulham. 27 years ago. These days, the old ticker's so done in he barely lets me walk. Nah, supporting's fine by me. I get to cheer loads more goals for Watford than I ever managed to score. Ernie Cottrell hands Harry Kent a sixpence and shuffles to a table with his pint, feeling old before his time. He's only 52. As he sips his drink, washing down the dust from his day's labour, he looks forward to tomorrow afternoon's third round match, as all Watford supporters are doing this evening. He tries to anticipate what will happen when the Blues take on their illustrious opponents from the division above. Preston are one of the great old clubs. They're still known as the old Invincibles. How will the game go, he wonders. Most likely, Preston star player Alex James will destroy Watford the way he and the rest of Scotland's Wembley Wizards destroyed England in the celebrated 5-1 win less than a year ago. On the other hand, perhaps Watford's current scoring sensation, Frank Lefty McPherson, will score his 18th goal in only his 16th appearance in a blue shirt. Or Watford's new boy wonder, 20-year-old Tommy Barnett, will score his third goal in three FA Cup games. Ernie's heart races a little at the thought. He doesn't know it yet, but one of these three things will come to pass tomorrow. And so will something he isn't anticipating. Tomorrow, Ernie Cottrell, a Watford fan and former Watford forward, will pass away at Vicarage Road. Horned Heaven No Better Place Written by Ollie Wickham Read by Colin Mace Earth Season 1928-29
and whipper will call. And evening is nigh. I hurry to my blue heaven. At home, late on the Friday night, after his wife has gone to bed, Ernie Cottrell listens to some of her gramophone records while he looks at his old scrapbooks of newspaper cuttings from his playing days. Ahead of tomorrow's big game, he wants to remind himself of the time he played in the FA Cup for Watford himself. He sits in their small living room in his easy chair. He puts to one side the scrapbooks that chronicle his two seasons with Sheppard United in the Southern League and his three in the Football League with Woolwich Arsenal, for whom he scored a goal every other game across the turn of the century. Instead, he opens the volume that contains September 1901 to April 1903. Two-thirds of the way through the book, he finds cuttings from the FA Cup tie in which he played. A column from the Watford Observer of November the 8th, 1902, notes that he was injured for the first staging of the tie, a one-all draw with Fulham at Watford's home ground at Cassio Road on the previous Saturday, and says that he was much missed. A separate column reports on the replay held five days later at a foggy Craven cottage. There are very few mentions of Ernie. The newspaper records that he put a header over the bar early in the second half, missing a chance to equalise and that he put in a cross for another chance not long before Fulham added a second and third to run out 3-0 winners. The account of the game concludes with what it describes as some unpleasantness when Watford's centre-forward and Fulham's centre-half came to blows and was sent off for fighting. The match report is long and detailed, but Ernie's own recollections are much richer than newsprint can convey. He closes his eyes and tries to transport himself back to the foggy Thursday afternoon next to the Thames. He can just about picture the muddy pitch, surrounded by 2,000 people standing on muddy banks, but he can't retrieve much detail. He thinks he remembers that no stands have been built, not even the brick building that many people seem to assume is the cottage the ground is named after. But is that correct? It feels as though his memories have been overwritten by more recent trips he's made to watch games at the ground in the 1920s. There's now an elegant main stand and neatly serried open terracing on three sides. He opens his eyes. He wishes he could go back to the place as it was and feel the occasion as it was. But of course, going back will never be possible. So much detail of what he has loved about his life has been lost to time. Are you coming to bed, love? It's late. Ernie looks up and sees his wife at the foot of the stairs. Yes, love, I, I was just... It's the FA Cup tomorrow. It got me reminiscing. His wife walks over and stands behind him. She lays a hand on his shoulder. Are you sure you should go in your condition? You shouldn't be getting overexcited. Ernie puts a hand on hers. He looks up. It won't be exciting at all, most likely, love. Preston will probably murder us. She kisses him on the head. Well, be careful. I don't want Watford murdering you. In the morning, Ernie wakes up and remembers with a thrill that it's FA Cup third round day. He springs out of bed. Downstairs, in the living room, he puts on a gramophone disc that matches his mood this morning. He goes to the cupboard where he keeps his scrapbooks, 
This morning he looks through items of memorabilia he's kept as a fan rather than a player. First he looks at a Tom Webster cartoon he snipped from the Daily Mail five years ago in 1924. It makes humorous observations on Watford's cup win over Exeter City. Ernie kept it because he was thrilled that little old Watford had been in the national newspapers as a worthy subject for the best sports cartoonist in the country. He makes a mental note to check the newspapers tomorrow. Next, he sifts through cigarette cards of Watford players from the 1920s. He finds Fred Pagnum, who's now the team's manager. Keep the cut run going for us, Paggy, Ernie says to the cigarette card. I'd love to see us in the next round. And the next. And the next. Finally, he finds a copy of a newspaper called Boys Pictorial from 1922. He bought and kept this because the front page has photographs from Watford's biggest game in their history to date. An FA Cup tie away to the defending champions that season, Tottenham Hotspur. Ernie went to the game at White Hart Lane in 1922. He loved it. He was part of the biggest crowd to date for a match involving Watford. He's somewhere there in the blur of spectators in the background of the photos, the heaving mass of humanity on the terracing. He remembers how much the match mattered, to him and to so many other people. 47,000 people were crammed into the place, craning their necks for a view, packed so tightly it stole your breath. The memory quickens his pulse, even though the photographs don't actually capture how he felt that day, how alive he felt on the journey to Tottenham. How proud he was that Watford held the cup champions for 80 minutes. How shattered he was that Hotspurs finally scored. It was the kind of day he'd like to be able to tell grandchildren about in the future. He puts down the newspaper. He wants more, but photographs are never quite enough. They don't preserve for posterity his personal experience. His memories live on only in his mind and his heart. His dodgy heart. When he's gone, all that stuff, all that stuff that has meant so much to him, will be gone. He wishes there was a way it could all be preserved. Still, today is a day for new memories. Watford have never beaten a team that's won the Football League. Today could be one of the best days of his life. At lunchtime, Ernie puts on his hat and coat and knocks at his neighbour's door. He and Bert go to games together. Ready to go, Bert? What? It's early. I've got a really good feeling about today, Bert. So I want to get a good view. I want to make sure of a place against the leaner too. I haven't been feeling so steady the last couple of days. Bert grabs his hat and coat, and they set off for Vicarage Road. I'm worried you've got your ropes up too high. Bert says as they walk. Preston will be too good. And now, uh, we'll be celebrating tonight. Slow down a bit, can you? Soon they pass the town centre. Even though it's early, there are already dozens of people streaming down Market Street towards the stadium. Ernie and Bert paused to let a horse and cart go past. I'm surprised there's so much interest after last week, Bert says. We got beat five at Swindon, a right slippery. This is different, Bert. This is the cup, mate. People love a bit of David in Goliath. I can't wait to see the boy Tommy Barnett firing his catapult. On Vicarage Road, they pass the cemetery 
and arrive at the fencing that encloses the ground. Ernie buys a programme for tuppence and they go through the main turnstiles opposite the Red Lion pub to cheer on the blues. Ernie loves this moment of arriving on the terraces. He feels like he's entering his blue heaven. Two and a half hours later, on the terrace at the Vicarage Road End, Ernie is feeling light-headed. Watford are 1-0 up, a moments away from victory. The team have played brilliantly. The new signing, Neil McBain, has held the defence together superbly. The popular right half, Frank Danky-Smith, has man-marked Preston star player Alex James out of the game. And the boy, Tommy Barnett, has indeed fired his catapult to score his third goal in three cup games. The whole town will be so thrilled at the result, so proud, that they'll flock to watch a film of the game at special cinema screenings later in the week. This is the greatest win in the club's history to date. But Ernie isn't only feeling lightheaded. He's also feeling nauseous. He's sweating. He thinks it's because of the excitement of the match. And at first this was true, but now his body is generating adrenaline because his racing heart can't cope. He can't get enough oxygen to his brain. Down on the pitch, Neil McBain stops a Preston attack and clears the ball upfield. Ernie feels as though he's going to faint. It flashes through his mind that he may be about to die, here at Vicarage Road. If he has to die somewhere, it doesn't seem a totally inappropriate place. He feels his grip on consciousness loosening. He's going to have to lie down soon. He hopes he can hold on until full time. Then, just as his eyesight begins to blur, he hears the final whistle. He manages to say, Good. Very good. His legs give way and he slumps into Bert on his way to the floor. Ernie, what's happening? Are you all right? Make space, yeah? My friend's unwell. What's wrong with him? My wife's a nurse. She'd feel his pulse. Try it. He's mad fast. Ernie, we're going to take care of you. You're going to be all right. We need to get him a doctor. The club will have one. Help me take him to the grandstand. They won't let him in there. That's for posh folk. He's a former player. Ernie Cottrell. The club will look after him. Ernie Cottrell? I remember him from the Casio Road days. Well, help me get him to the doctor. Ernie is in no pain. He's serenely semi-conscious. He's vaguely aware that his neighbour Bert and two other men are carrying him across the Vicarage Road pitch towards the grandstand. His oxygen-starved mind tells him that he's shoulder-high and that the crowd's cheers are for him after the famous cup win. This makes him very happy. Now he has the sensation he's going down a tunnel. Throughout his life, he's heard people describe the moment of death as like entering a tunnel, but he never envisaged it as the one at Vicarage Road that the players run out of. He's actually enjoying this. Now he seems to be rising up some stairs. He's intrigued. He's been coming to Vicarage Road since the place was brand new seven years ago and he's always wondered what it's like behind the scenes inside the grandstand. Wait, what's this room he's entering? The boardroom? This is amazing. What an honour 
that he's been brought to where the club's directors assemble. It feels like a formal recognition of all he has ever felt about Watford. He floats and smiles. There are concerned voices in the room, but they don't bother him. He wonders calmly if the Rickeridge Road boardroom is where his life will end. As a supporter and former player, surely there could be no better place. He closes his eyes and a pleasant mist swirls. Fifty-five years later, on a Friday evening in May 1984, Ernie Cottrell has stopped in at Supporters Club headquarters on Occupation Road. Harry Kent is behind the bar. It's Everton in the FA Cup final tomorrow, Mr Cottrell. Will you be attending? Can't wait, Harry. 100,000 crowd, I reckon. Five times the usual. Harry Kent has been renowned for not displaying his emotions during his 33 years in the afterlife so far. But tonight the mask slips a little, as he says. On such occasions, I wish I was still down on earth, Mr Cottrell. Don't you? Nah, I'd never have survived a marry, with the ticker I had. Up here's the best place for me. I've been at dozens more FA Cup ties over the decades, all of them without croaking. Ernie grins. He's still 52 and he's perfectly well. He doesn't feel old before his time anymore. He sits down beside an old man who arrived in the afterlife 20 years after Ernie got there. Ernie begins a conversation with this man he now counts as a great friend. So, the FA Cup final, Henry. Did you ever think you'd see the day? Ernie, old thing. I've been seeing the day in my dreams ever since I was a boy. Henry Grover, the man who founded Watford Rovers in 1881 and played in the club's first FA Cup match in 1886, shakes his head. His eyes fill and glisten. It's taken 93 years to arrive, but tomorrow we actually play in the final. Henry, overcome with emotion, lifts a hand to excuse himself. Ernie pats Henry on the shoulder and keeps the father of the club company. He sits quietly with his own thoughts. He spends some time trying to rank his all-time greatest Watford FA Cup memories. Up here, he doesn't require scrapbooks, mementos or any other inadequate memory joggers. He's been back to relive the games, experiencing them in every detail, time and time again the way he wished he could down on earth, simply by going through an ancient turnstile with a programme for the match. More importantly, though, tomorrow he'll see Watford's greatest FA Cup moment of all, playing at Wembley. 108 years after he was born, he'll be there. Ernie Cottrell smiles to himself. More than half a century ago, he died after the win over Preston at Vicarage Road, in the boardroom, thinking there could be no better place. He was wrong. He's discovered there's no better place for Watford fans than Hornet Heaven. Mm -hmm.
The End. No Better Place was written and produced by Ollie Wicken. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com.